Beautiful Anonymous is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello to everybody with an amazingly on-brand psychiatrist name. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know Hi, everybody. Chris Gethard here. Welcome to Beautiful Anonymous. So happy to bring you another episode. Because if, if you're new to this show, here's what we do. We take phone calls. We talk to people one hour at a time. We make the phone calls very relaxed. There's no agenda. You just come. You tell a story. You air out an opinion. You share what you want to share. You make it as exciting or as boring as you feel. And we learn about the world one hour at a time. And we fight back against loneliness is what we do. And uh, I'll tell you, this episode ties into that. Uh, before I get into it, I want to say thanks to everybody who came out to Toronto Comedy Bar. Love that spot. Thank you so much. I'll have some dates actually in Oklahoma and Texas in August. Because who doesn't want to go to Oklahoma and Texas in the dead heat of August? Uh, but I'll have info on that in the coming weeks. You're about to hear from a psychologist. She's got a doctorate. She does things her own way. She's seen a lot. She's worked with people from all different stripes. And I was able to talk to this psychologist about what are you seeing? What are the broad strokes of what's messing people up right now? What's your advice when people ask, how do I know when to see a doctor for the first time? How do I help know when it's time to bring my kid to see a mental health professional for the first time? And here's what I really loved. She's off the clock. It's not clinical. It's, it's hey, I'm a psychologist who thinks very hard about how to do what I do and do it well. But if we're just going to be talking behind the scenes about how I'm really feeling in a casual way, here's all the things you need to know. And I think that that's hugely valuable. And if you're out there right now and you're thinking maybe it's time to see somebody, I hope you do. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. There's no better month to start. And if you're sitting here wondering why things are the way they are and why we're all as stressed out as we are right now, she's got some good thoughts on it. I feel really lucky I got to talk to her. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. Hi. Am I on? You're on. It's happening. All right. Oh, this is really a treat. Well, that's cool to hear. I'm very excited to talk to you. Um, I've listened to you for years. And um, I'm a psychologist. I love your podcast. I recommend many of your episodes to people to listen to. Um, and I've seen you I just once. bought tickets a couple of times during the pandemic, but only managed to see you once. So I'm thrilled to talk to you. Thank you. And thank you for all you do to help other people. That's very, it's very good to dedicate your life to the service of others. Well, I'm dying to know. I haven't listened to a ton of recent ones, but... Are you going back to social work school? I'm not, but for good reason. Okay. <laughs> well, because I got hired. 
I basically got hired to do a bunch of work for a mental health nonprofit. Mm. And I'm going to be organizing a bunch of stuff for them so I could just get to work. And I don't need to do three years of school to get there. So Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I started a few weeks ago and I'm greatly enjoying it. Well, that's great. Um, and you'll continue to do your podcast and, and that too? As long as they, as long as they let me, I want to keep it going. That's awesome. I think it'll be fine, but I'm going to keep it going as long as I can. I want to keep it going. Well, we certainly know at this point that it's a huge issue and that we really need to change our whole model about mental health, don't we? Oh yeah. And now that I'm, I'm working for an organization that's really on the ground doing stuff hands-on with people, I'm realizing how, how real it is, how real of a fight it is right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, when I was raising my kids, I worked for an agency that provided the therapist to a, I, I live in a big, outside of a big city and they provided all the therapists to the, to the most restrict, restrictive educational setting, um, which really I learned to cut my teeth you know, in that organization. And so that's why I was saying, I was telling me that you had, I think you've only had one psychologist on, is that right? Or have you had more than that? I'm not certain. I mean, seven years of calls. I don't have instant recall of the amount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, we've had a lot, i tell you who we've had a lot of is social workers. Um, yeah, that's true. That as is far true. as yeah. what p- different people's different degrees are, I can't speak to it instantly but a lot yeah. of social workers support this show and it's very that's been very cool oh yeah so i remember listening to the psychologist who was excellent but she's also was very um research driven and numbers and all of that which is fantastic we need that because i cut my teeth the way i did i think i'm a little bit more like your therapist maybe not quite as much out there as your therapist but um you know, I don't, I'm, I'm in private practice now. I have been for about 15 years, but um, I definitely think outside the box and do all things that my other therapist friends wouldn't do, you know, like take people to this, to see their medical provider if nobody else in their family or network will give them a ride or that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. It sounds like you cut your teeth at an organization similar to the one that I'm working with now the the people i work with now i believe are the biggest nonprofit organization that provides therapists to schools wow yeah so it sounds very it similar it would be with deco would it be would no. it be with deco does no. that sound familiar no yeah because they have actually an office in new york city as well um i don't think they've gone elsewhere but yeah yeah it's not with deco um it's an organization called Wellness Together, California-based. Very, very good, kind people. Huh. I'm sure people are going to get curious and want to look it up, and they're going to go, oh, this feels like a thing Gethard should be doing. And it's good, but I, it's funny because yeah. I, I tell you, I already, I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, providing any sort of mental health services, but they're having me do all the training as if I was, so I have an awareness of what it is. Huh. And I realize there's so many... There are so many, I would just say so many tightropes as far as providing service, trying to cut to the quick and get the service to where it's needed while doing it in a way that's responsible and smart. It's, it's really daunting. So for you to be able to navigate it and figure out how to be a little bit outside of the box, 
I feel like it, that kudos to you. And you have to be, you have to be a veteran in that game to figure out exactly where, where the lines blur and where your comfort zone is. Right. Yeah. Well, I've been, I mean, yeah, I'm, I, I'm 67 now, so you do have some older people that listen to you. I know you know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's all good. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I was actually listening, driving to work today listening to the high schooler called in. And that's a lot like my practice. Like, I work with people from, I mean, I think the youngest I work with is six. And my oldest is about 86. And wow. I deal with absolutely everything. Um, and I really love it. I mean, it's just, it's a real varied practice and it's always interesting and important. And what's nice about my private practice, I have to say, which is interesting, thinking about what you're doing is people who come to me generally want to get help. Um, and so they work hard for the most part. And I really deeply admire them because they are trying to make a difference in their life before things get bad. Um, and, but when I worked in the schools, in this inner city schools, and I also, my, one of my first jobs was at a residential treatment center for adolescent girls, which sent me right back to graduate school because I had no idea what I was doing. pause right there that's a good reason to leave a job when you have no idea what you're doing i've i've left jobs like that where i have absolutely no clue and i said time for me to bounce you know what else it's time to bounce it's time for me to bounce over to the commercials we'll be right back with more phone call beautiful anonymous is brought to you by progressive insurance what if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast with progressive it is just visit the progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want you'll see progressives direct rate then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare all you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates comparison rates not available in all states or situations prices vary based on how you buy. Thanks to our advertisers who help us bring the show to the world. Now, let's get back to the phone call. One of my first jobs was at a residential treatment center for adolescent girls, which sent me right back to graduate school because I had no idea what I was doing. Um, yeah, it's kind of fun to be in this position. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the school base is cool. My daughter worked um, actually in New York City in um, running school based or helping design and implement um, and grow school based health centers, which is, I mean, I think that's really the way we all need to go is more school based, um, just more available everywhere. I think so. And try to destigmatize, which I think is one of the nice things that your podcast does is it really destigmatizes mental health. Well, I've been very happy to do my part and I'm with you. I, I think, I think there is something very noble about the idea of um, trying to meet people where they're at, especially when it comes to their health. Right. And mm-hmm. there's going to be some situations where maybe kid, I mean, first of all, let's just be totally honest. Cause I, I want to hear about this from you, uh, but I sit here and I go right now, there's a whole generation of kids that, spent two years at home when they're usually learning how to be social and just no matter how that ball bounces, that's a weird thing that we had to do as a society. Yeah. And there's kids, you know, if you, if you miss, imagine if you missed sixth and seventh grade 
when, you know, I just think of those years right there. I go, some kids are starting to go through puberty. Other kids like me are the late bloomers being left behind. Nobody knows how to handle any of it. You're starting to get old enough to think pretty hard about your home life and, and what's good about it, but also what feels like it's not equal to what others have. And you're starting to feel that anger. Maybe you have older siblings who are starting to drink and do drugs and you're seeing it. And imagine if those years you were just at home, not talking to people, when you're supposed to be learning how to fit into society during those changes. Then on top of it, whole generation of kids right now that's being actually trained in like defensive military tactics in the halls of their schools, where a lot of people my age and older sit here and go, we, we had fire drills where they taught us, maybe we even once in a while had a bomb scare where somebody called in a bomb threat and they had to teach us how to get out quickly and which fields to go stand in. We didn't have this. We didn't have this where they're teaching us, okay, turn the lights off and get under a desk and tip over the desk if you have to, or come hide in this closet and be quiet. Like it's psychologically, it is strange what we're putting kids through right now. So I'm happy to uh, put my own sort of artistic pursuits on hold for a while, or at least to split some of the attention away from them. Yeah, I have, if I see some lanes where I can go, I might be able to get some people into schools right now to help. Happy to do it. And I'm sure you see a lot of this stuff too. Yeah. But I have to say, you actually made me think of something I hadn't thought of in years. And that is I was of the generation during the Cuban Missile Crisis. I was in kindergarten and we had drills where we had to hide under our desk in case a nuclear bomb hit us. And I had nightmares about that for years, actually. I will tell you, I'm at the tail end of that. I remember sometimes I I have these visions of when I was six or seven, sneaking into my parents' room and sleeping on the floor at the foot of their bed because I was so scared the Russians were going to nuke us. And I feel like if you were even three or four years younger than me, you probably didn't have that. And I was at the tail end of all the nuclear stuff. It was scary. Yeah. It was really scary. And what's amazing, and that's what you're making me think of, is that I had, I mean, I probably did that maybe twice in kindergarten, but I, again, nightmares for years and what kids go through or anybody actually could be at churches now. It could be at grocery stores, could be anywhere. I mean, it's just, it's kind of mind boggling to think about that. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say, just not, this is not me getting in a soapbox, but, you know, when I, I thought about this whole kind of gun control thing and, um, you know, no, and I, and I've had one or two clients in my private practice that I would say, if someone asked me, I would say, don't give this person a gun. Um, but nobody would ask me because I'm private, right? They're not yeah. going to say, oh, yeah, call my therapist, find out if she agrees. Um, so I just don't think the system is works for figuring out who, sh- who should have guns and who shouldn't. It's wild. Well, I want to ask you, because that's my soapbox. That's my soapbox and what I've been thinking yeah. of. But <laughs> I want to know for you, as someone who's a psychologist right now, um, you have patients ranging in age, I believe you said from six to 86. Yeah. Sounds like you're keeping busy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you had to say, like, if you had to say, okay, with this broad range of people from different backgrounds, age groups, if I had to say what I'm seeing as someone meeting people individually to hear about what's tripping them up. Here's what I would say are the broad strokes of of where we're at in America right now. 
Oh, you're asking me. I was going to say, oh, thank God he's answering that question. No, no, no. It's for you. I'm throwing it all. Please <laughs> um, tell me what's wrong know, with America. No, that's okay. <laughs> you personally take responsibility and you tell me what we have to fix. <laughs> Damn. Um I, um, I will get back to that, but can I step aside? Because I'm a little bit blown away by what's happened, actually. You know, when you said if this happened to me and when I was in sixth or seventh grade, my first reaction was, oh, that would have been wonderful not to have to go to school and deal with what I dealt with. Not that it was bad. It was just a typical American upbringing. But, you know, kids are rough. And, um, you know, I was always told that I, you know, wasn't working to my potential. And, you know, I don't know, it was rough. And I had, I really hoped during this pandemic that we would shift. And, and I still, so I said this to someone else and they said, you know what, give us time. We're still learning about the after effects of the pandemic. But I really wish that we had shifted some because I see kids in school who are literally and have for years and years who are, I call them allergic to school. It is not the place for them. They shouldn't be there. It's toxic. And I've had several clients who've then gone off and done homeschooling or online learning way before the pandemic, and they thrived. And I just wish that we did a better, I mean, we weren't prepared for this, of course, but I wish that we could do a better job um, giving people alternatives because, you know, you're right. We do need to live within groups of other people. Okay, I'm going to have to correct myself, but we do need to be socialized. We need to learn skills, coping skills, how to deal with our world, but it's miserable for people, for many people, as you've heard over the years with your podcast and probably, I don't know you yourself. Um, so, and then my, my um, brother actually does some volunteer skiing. He lives out in um, the West Coast in, in the mountains. And um, he was saying how he, he would volunteer doing runs and he'd run to all these college students who during the pandemic were saying, you know, my courses are a joke. I'm out here skiing. I'm not really learning anything. And, and I was appalled by that. I mean, we should just do a way better job meeting the needs of of the population. Um, and when I said a second ago that I need to inter inter interrupt myself, we weren't designed to be in public schools, right? We weren't designed to have to deal with, you know, 90 kids per grade, 2,000 people in the school. I mean, that's not how we evolved. And I I think, I don't know, I think our whole system needs to be revamped. We, we do this, our educational system is like this for um, expedience sake and not for really what's best for each individual person. That's my soapbox. I'll stop talking. <laughs> you know what I loved about that? I go, if you had to tell me the broad strokes of what you think is wrong, and you go, well, instead of answer that, and then you, and then you broke down how the entire American education system seems to be a bit fractured, if not outright broken, yeah. in a way that perfectly answered it. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know what it is, and you know what, we have a lot of people that we're educating, and we're trying to deal with their mental health, but uh, it's just so sad. I work with a kindergarten teacher now whom I love. She is so talented, and she has been talking about the teachers in her building and how burnt out they are and how little effort they put into um, their work now, and you know, this is 
this is another inner city school, so I'm not talking about all teachers. I really greatly admire teachers, but, you know, it's a really tough job. Um, and we don't pay them enough. We put a lot of pressure on them now to meet certain standards. Um, and you know, it's just, it's just sad. I have two little granddaughters now and I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to send them to school to learn that the world is a hard place to live. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I will admit I'm speaking from a position of privilege here because I know that. For sure. For sure, as am I, certainly. But I think we're allowed to have these meltdowns as well. I think we're allowed. Yeah. <laughs> but I hear you. Yeah. yeah. Everyone, I, so many of my friends who became teachers, I mean, it's fun. Today is actually my birthday. As you and I are taping this, this is my birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Thanks. And so I t- are you 43 now? You keep saying your age, or are you 44? I'm 43. I turned 43. Um, today, okay. today it's official. I've been saying 43 for a while because I really have felt 43 for a couple months now. I've been feeling it. But it's funny because I, I feel old. But I know that at 43, it's not that old. It's, de- it's definitely yeah. a point where I think a, a lot of people maybe question, is it time for some new life choices? Is it time? Feels a little bit like the last era where I'll be able to make some major changes if I want to. And who knows how much of that's in my head? I have no idea, but it feels like it. But what I can tell you is that I have a number of friends who became teachers out of college. And, and since you brought up teachers and ed- education being one of the things that pops in your head right away as far as being what's broken, I can say I have many friends who became teachers who in their early 40s are very burnt out and very tired of it yeah. and who consistently express some version of there's all sorts of things that I am asked to deal with that get in the way of me being able to just give kids a good experience, whether that's administration, whether that's standardized tests. I have one friend who taught at a very highly regarded public school district in New Jersey who left the district because if a kid got an A minus instead of an A, parent conference, I want to come in and talk to you about it. If you got yeah. a B plus instead of an A minus, parent conference let's talk about and and you start to realize there's so much of it that's so much of it that's built about you know test scores and achievement yeah. and everyone's buying into it in a way that's really yeah um really making it so the whole system isn't about the kids it's about sheets of paper that lists list data that the kids represent and that's just not going to work long term. And I, I'd like to think, I will tell you too, though, as the parent of a kid who just turned four, I feel like a lot of the parents I talk to, a lot of us of the little ones right now are going, oh yeah, we're not doing that. We're not going to put them through that. If he gets a B instead of an A, I don't care. Is he nice? Is he kind? Yeah. yeah. Does he make other people feel good? If he sees somebody who's sad, does he try to make it better, not worse? That's I care a lot more about that than his SAT score. Yeah. And I'm not the only parent right now who I think is feeling that. And that's, I think, a good adjustment. Now, probably we'll swing the pendulum way too hard and we'll have a whole batch of kids who are like way too hippy-dippy about school and we'll have to find a healthy middle ground. But right now, I can feel that a lot of us are just going, I don't want to stand over my kid's shoulder and make sure he gets 10 points higher on the SAT. I don't care. 
It's not healthy. Well, wouldn't we hope that this whole, like, to be brought down to earth like we were in the pandemic would kind of shift our perspective to actually what's important in life, right? You'd like to think so, yeah. Yeah, I like to think so, too. And I do think we have to be patient to kind of just wait and see how this all sorts out. But, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. But I don't know what's going on politically. I mean, you know, it really worries me. And, you know, I don't really care. I mean, I, I think we need, I, I'm a staunch Democrat, but, you know, I think we need Republicans sometimes to wind us, in, you know, reel us back in. But what's happening now without any collaboration like that is it's very scary to me. Um, you know, I really feel like we, you know, back in the Kennedy days when, and I'm not saying I was a staunch Kennedy person. He was before my time. But, you know, at least people really worked hard to try to come together and have the best solution for the country. And that's just not what happens anymore. And maybe that was naive. I don't know. I just think that happened a whole lot more before. Well, it certainly feels like there's an ability. There's a double-edged sword, which is that what I see in, in very broad strokes that I'm sure smarter people think a lot harder about, but I sit here and I go, there's a lot of mechanisms built to make you feel like you're being a part of something when it's not having much actual effect. Yeah. We're talking a lot about sort of internet driven here, things here, like you can post with a hashtag and that's doing something sure, but not as much as you think. And it's not the same as, when we saw footage, like you said, back in the day of people actually arm in arm marching for causes. Yeah. Whereas some of the people who are now marching for causes are also storming the Capitol now. And that's kind of coming mm. to represent what that looks like. And that's not very good either. Um, I have been, of course, inspired, you know, I'll never forget. I had moved back out to New Jersey when George Floyd happened. And I saw some of the towns where those protests were happening and they were, towns that I knew growing up as wealthy and white that you'd think would be like buttoned up and aghast at it. And I sit here, I go, okay, so every once in a while there is still something. But then again, then there's other, for, there's there's media outlets that I am allergic to, that I hold my nose at, that looked at those protests and and said that they were the problem. So these loops, these loops they send us on are not healthy. I want to, can I ask you a question that I think, it, well, no, first of all, respond. If you have a response, I, I'm sitting here rambling about nothing and then I don't even let you respond. No, no, that's okay. That's okay. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. So you go ahead. Well, I want to ask you a question that might help individuals out there Okay. because I've talked about what it was like for me to go and find my first shrink and then having to go find a different one until I found the right one. People have told me in a way that's very flattering over the years that some of my work helped them realize, I know I should have a, a mental health professional in my life. Let me go find one. And every time I hear that, I go, that's amazing. That's so cool because I know how helpful it is. But I've had other friends in my life say to me, I remember once very distinctly, I had a friend who's a songwriter said to me, I know I need a shrink, but I haven't hit rock bottom yet. So I'm not going to do it. And I remember saying, why are you waiting for rock? Like rock bottom's hard. Yeah. Rock bottom's hard. No. Like you don't, why are you waiting? If you know you need one now, they'll help you avoid rock bottom. Rock bottom's scary. 
yeah. rock bottom might feel necessary. And that is, there's some language like in recovery about rock bottom and whatnot. But if you can avoid rock bottom, avoid rock bottom. Because the stuff that happens when you're at rock bottom, you might never stop thinking about that. You might have a glimmer of that. Every time you look in the mirror, you might go, what did I do at rock bottom? So avoid it. So I, one question I have for you that might be really helpful for people out there. How do you, what would you recommend someone starts to seek help in the mental health space as a mental health professional? How do, how do people know when it's time as far as from your perspective? Because I'm sure you see people where you go, oh, I wish I got to you two years ago. We could have saved you a lot of pain. Yeah, I sure do. I'm sure yeah. you also have run into a person from time to time where you go, are you sure you want to spend the money on this? Because I think, I think you're okay. I'm sure you've seen both ends of it. Yeah, I have. But I want to say, though, one of my commitments, and it, this keeps me a lot poor, is so my husband and I are in private practice together. Oh, cool. And um, we are absolutely committed to only insurance-based people. Um, and, you know, uh, I have lots of friends for various reasons who are cash only, particularly people at my, at my age, at 65, they're all saying, I'm done with insurance. I'm going to go just be cash only. We just won't do it because I couldn't afford to pay that kind of money for a good therapist. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I think, Therapy absolutely should be insurance-based everywhere, whether it's internet or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, when I worked in the, in the schools, in the public schools, we build, you know, Medi the Medicaid version in our state. You know, everybody could have therapy. And so everybody should, number one, have insurance. And we should pay people adequately. I mean, I think we should pay teachers a whole hell of a lot more than me because they actually see people all the time. I mean, they, you know, I tell people all the time, they say, oh, you're so good. And I go, you know what? I am only as good as you're willing to work. You know, if you're willing to work hard, then we can get stuff done here. If, you, if you're not willing to work, then I'm really not very good. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a piece of it as well. But um, your question, um, oh, I, I think I mean, I think people, whenever you have a question, do I need to talk to someone? That's the time to talk to someone. Um, you know, there is no, there is no reason to wait. Let's pause right there. I hope that helps some people. It's broken my heart. I've had versions of that conversation a few times over the years. And if you're somebody who's like, I should probably track down a shrink. Yeah, you should. And the best time to do it's right now. And I'm not being melodramatic in recommending that. If you know it's time, go find them or find the people in your life who will find them for you if you're not quite capable. But it's time. Anyway, much love to you. Much love to our advertisers as well. Ew, gross. Okay, we'll be right back. Beautiful Anonymous is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Thanks again to everybody who advertises on the show, helps us bring it to the world. Now let's finish off the phone call. I think people, whenever you have a question, do I need to talk to someone? That's the time to talk to someone. 
Um, you know, there is no, there is no reason to wait. In fact, remember when the lottery got really high, I don't know, like nine months ago, I was like, you know, what am I going to do with that money? And I really thought long and hard about it. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change the mental health model. You know, and I think there should be therapists, no matter what their credentials are in every doctor's office, in all schools, there's plenty of us out there. Um, and, you know, when you go into the doctor for your yearly checkup, have a yearly mental health checkup um, and then start referring elsewhere. I mean, I, that's where I was like, and I really should have won that lottery because I would have done a lot of good if I had. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I mean, I mean, I have to say I, I had a mother once bring in her six year old and um, said, you know, my kid's afraid to go to the next level of the house. Um, and, you know, I really want him to be able to deal with his thing, you know, to figure this out. So I talked to the kid and we, and what I was doing was I was teaching him how to manage his anxiety and he's an anxious kid and he's going to have anxiety his whole life. And I was so impressed with that mom from bringing her kid in right away for, for something that was relatively minor. Right. I said to the kid, you know what? I want to tell you something. You're going to come in here next week and you're going to tell me, you know, doc, I did it. Um, And that's exactly what happened. And, you know, so if people came in early, they're going to solve problems so much faster. 100%. I'm really struck by... It is, but to go to the other part of your... What? Oh, yeah, no, go for it. To go to the other part. I was going to say, to go to the other part of your question, though... Oh, God, I forgot it. It's hard being 65. <laughs> and well, I'm talking to you, which the is The awesome. other part was, do you, how do you know when someone's showing up and you go, hey, I don't this is not the best use of your time and money. You can, you can get through this. Do you, I, that must happen less often. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I never send people, well, again, I'm insurance based, so I don't send people away, not because I want to use their money, but because they're asking for help and I want to give it to them. Um, even if it's relatively minor, you know, or relatively easy to fix. I mean, if, if I can fix something, I will, but you know, that kind of speaks to the other issue though of, And I think you talked about this in one of your podcasts recently about, or it's been out in the news, just the kind of loneliness factor, which is the other issue post-pandemic that we're all talking about more. I mean, people just need to find connection. That's why your podcast is so popular, right? People are finding other people who are struggling with the same things and thinking about the same things. And it's, and it's meaningful. Um, And, you know, there are some people I feel like, you know, you're probably done here. Um, but, you know, they just need to have a connection with someone who actually really knows them at this point. Well, I'd like to think that out of all the virtual things yeah. that promise connection. Yeah. I'm pretty proud of this one. I think this is on, I think this is pretty close. I think you can actually listen, but you have to commit for an hour. And we have as few interruptions as possible. And, and um, there's some that are just even more empty calories. And I, even I will say, I'm proud of this podcast, but it's, it's not the same as looking someone in the eye. I, I, I recently went on a rant on some comedy show or some other podcast where I said, um, and I really meant it. I go, now that we're all going back to restaurants, I don't ever want to scan a QR code again. Because a lot of them are, well, because they're keeping that. A lot of the restaurants are keeping that. And I get that. It's probably easier. And especially if your menu, you know, if you have, if you're doing like fresh ingredients and you change the menu a lot, you don't have to print it again. But there's also some part of it where I go, 
this cuts down on those little seemingly inconsequential conversations I have with the person behind the counter or the waiter. And look, people in the service industry, it's a tough gig. And there's probably a lot of them that go, I love a reason to not have to talk to these jabronis who constantly bother us. I I get that too. I get that people get squeezed all the time. But I sit here and go, like when I lived in New York and you moved to a new neighborhood and you go to your corner deli enough that when you walk in, they start to realize. Yeah. Like I order my egg and cheese and they don't, they know I never get salt, pepper, ketchup on it. And they've stopped asking me because they know I don't get it. And they know I don't get meat on it. It's egg and cheese plain. When you realize, oh, they stopped asking me, I'm a regular. Even that lack of conversation is a little spark of human conversation. And I can't tell you how much some of those little seemingly inconsequential human interactions have gotten me through bad days. I have, I had one that I never forgot. I don't think I've told this on the show before. But when I lived in Woodside, Queens, this was probably when I was about 27 or 28. This was right around when I started seeing Barb, who's my shrink, who I did my HBO special about, who I've been with since 2007, 16 years. I'm turning 43 today. I've been with her since I was 27. This was at a really bad stretch of life. And I remember I had this laundromat in my neighborhood. It was in Queens, which is a beautifully diverse place. And it was a, a, a Middle Eastern family that ran the laundromat. And the lady who was very often there, she wore a head wrap, I believe a hijab, but I might be mess. You know, there's a few different kinds. I don't want to misspeak, but we, we had different backgrounds. I was a 27-year-old white boy from the suburbs of New Jersey. She was, I'm fairly certain, an immigrant to Queens from the Middle East. And I remember once I dropped off my laundry and then I went back a couple days later to pick it up and I paid her and left the tip on the counter. And as I walked away, she just goes, Hey, you okay? Oh, wow. And for a long time, well, for a long time. And we said, we talked, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a little stressed (laughs) and I forget exactly what the conversation was, but for a long time, I would do a joke in my standup set. I should bring this joke back where I would say, how sad do you have to be that someone can sense it through your laundry? You know, like these were very quick interactions, but point being, point being like that was a neighborhood spot. I dropped off. I picked up she with her. She noticed you. She noticed. She saw me. Yeah. As a human being, something about my body language that day or the drop off or the last few times, maybe even before I realized it, she was like, man, that guy's not making eye contact like he used to, or he's waiting until his bag is really overflowing. I bet his house is a mess. What's up with this dude? <laughs> something about it that I've never been able to put my finger on. She nailed it. And we need that. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, there may be something special about these laundry folks in Queens or or New York. My daughter used to live in in Ridgewood, oh, and yeah. I visited her one day or uh, one weekend, and we went out to get. I got in my car, and my car wouldn't move. And I got out of the car and looked, and the 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 street had sunk in, and my car was stuck in the sinkhole in front of this laundromat. Um, and we're like, oh my God, what did we do? It was over the 4th of July weekend. And so we went, we went on the laundromat there and the, the woman came out and she said, well, 
we can't move these cars around your car because this guy's on vacation and this guy's here. And this, he, she knew all the cars and where people were. Yeah. It was unbelievable. We need that. And it was amazing. Speaking of amazing, I don't want to run out of time before I tell you that I saw you on your, your off-Broadway special the day after Trump was elected. Oh, that was a good one. That was such a good one. And you, I mean, first of all, that was, I was with my husband and daughter and we were so bummed and you just made it, you just made us all feel better. Like it's going to be okay, everybody. <laughs> I remember saying, um, I, but I, the I, other thing you were. Oh, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. What? Go ahead. No, you say. There you it. go. Say so you were um, so funny and then people would come in late and you're like, oh wait, come on in and let me catch up because you've missed a couple minutes. And that was just so, it was just an amazing <laughs> special. You do such a great job. Thanks. I remember saying, um, I remember saying like I had this fantasy that I'd be doing this show and maybe, maybe Hillary would get elected and she'd put so much effort into mental health in America and she'd find out about my little show and she'd, and I'd get some kind of, she'd say, I'm really proud of you. And, and, and now Donald Trump's elected and I'm scared he's going to see this show someday. And he's just going to be like, you're a little bitch. You little <laughs> bitch. Like that was, I immediately had that feeling of like, oh, guys like me are not as this is something's turned this this is not good for guys like me but i want to ask you in plain terms so yeah i've been very struck that i asked you you know if, if when you see the broad strokes what do you think the problems are you immediately said seems like a lot of stuff's off with the education system yeah i said when you when would you recommend someone start seeing a mental health professional and you said you have hopes that it's becoming less stigmatized with parents and kids so that kids get in on it early and get used to it. Both of these things relate to people being in their formative years, right? Yeah. Um, so. Absolutely. And, and, and I love those answers. And, and then you said, you know, we started talking about loneliness, which I think people are starting to refer to as an epidemic. Yeah. I think people are starting to realize that a lot of the other things that hit the news when it's, when you get down to it, loneliness is driving a lot of bad, bad things. I think you could argue that if, if we really look past the sensational side of many, many headlines, what you will see with a lot of school shooters is intensely lonely people. Yeah, absolutely. What you will see with a lot of people who are falling into white supremacy right now is intensely lonely people who need some sort of acceptance within a group, even if that group is twisted and evil. I think it's loneliness in many, many different directions and right on down the list. So without outing your, your personal tricks of the trade and without giving away the farm for free, I wonder when you do meet with a young person who's starting with you and you do realize that loneliness is this umbrella that a lot of the other problems fall into, are there basics you put out there as far as combating loneliness right now? Whether it's cautionary things, whether it's actions that you recommend people take, are there things you look at in terms of this widespread loneliness we're facing and, and advice you find yourself giving more often? Um, I think the biggest issue is just get involved with other people, right? Get out of the house. Um, you know, I meet with a lot of kids going off to college and I say, don't stay in your dorm room. Don't just meet the people on your floor, like get interested in something, no matter what it is, um, find a niche, find a way to get involved and meet other people. 
Um, so that's one thing. But the other piece is, you know, is the whole self-esteem piece, right? Because you only will reach out to others if you feel okay about yourself. And so that's a big piece that I really work on kind of just, um, I mean, everybody is really special um, and they have their special strengths and weaknesses and, um, and they're loved by somebody. And, you know, and if they're not, then let's figure out a way to get connected with someone like that's huge from a really early age. Um, and that's where, again, I don't love our educational system because we're like lots of us are just a number. Um, and we're not, we're not treated as special and every single person is every single person that calls your podcast is really special and really interesting. I've learned so much from them in all walks of life. Uh, so, you know, that's, and if people really truly believe that in their heart, um, then they would be able to take risks to get out there. Um, and you know, meet others, try new things. I mean, I am constantly pushing people to put out the tentacles and develop their their um, their social connections. Um, I don't know if you've heard this, but I say this to college students, not one has ever followed my advice, but there's a, I don't know if you've heard this, and I haven't heard anyone, have I heard anyone talk about it in your show? So when my son was in college about 10 years ago, like Harry Potter, well, 15 years ago, Harry Potter was really became Quidditch became something that college campuses actually offered as an extracurricular. Have you heard of it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm aware that that's a thing that's happening out there. It's huge. Well, I don't know if it's still huge. It was huge when he was involved with it. Um, and I like, I would say to kids, girls and guys are doing this. You know, it's really a lot of fun. It's, it's not that serious. Although now it became very serious actually, but, um, you know, find a way to meet other people. And, you know, they kind of think I'm crazy, um, but, and they're like, yeah, quit it. <laughs> but it's a great way to get connected. It's, it, it actually made his college experience the best thing ever. And actually, another thing I want to say about public schools is what do you remember? Do you remember your, your classes or do you remember the plays you were in, the sports you did, the crazy teachers you had? Those are what we really remember and hold in our hearts, right? Or, or the teacher who really looked, looked out for you as a person. And that's what I feel like we're missing now. I can tell you on my end, especially by high school, because junior high, between the social side of it being incredibly rough, going to a junior high school that had some weird issues with violence, learning that math was a roadblock that made me not like learning at all, and then I got to high school where I just felt like I'm this little late bloomer trying to survive. I will tell you, I, I actually had an okay time because I signed up for every activity I could find. In some, I look back, it was some effort to just find my people. Yeah. And the classes, I was a kid who just treated the classes as a, a minor inconvenience that I had to do yeah. <laughs> in order to stick around and try to find some cool people who wanted to do some cool stuff. That's what, and then I luckily had one drama teacher named Melissa Blevins who pulled me aside and said, you know, most of these teachers think you're a wise ass, but I think you might be talented. You want to take my drama class and figure it uh -huh. out? And oh my then, God. And man, she's- That's incredible. She's the best. She's still a teacher in New Jersey. I'll name drop her first and last name, Melissa Blevins. I think she teaches down in central Jersey now, not in my old high school anymore, but I had one teacher that handed me the keys to the car 
and was like, you, I think maybe if we stop scolding you and just let you go do your thing, <laughs> it might actually help you find yourself. And there was one teacher that saw it for me. The rest of them, I got my issues. <laughs> I got my opinions, but that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, but they're looking at you now going, man, I was wrong. I, ooh, you want to hear? <laughs> I, I feel like I've been talking too much this episode. And I apologize, but I got one you might No, it's great. Funny. It's great. Everybody loves stories about you, Chris. <laughs> You'll like this. Both, both for the story itself, and I think you, at you as a mental health professional will go, you demonstrated. I hope you'll say you found a real nice middle ground to make your point while demonstrating restraint in a way that wasn't too crazy. So I don't think I've talked about this on the show before, but I, um, a couple years ago, back when my, my back when my comedy career was really booming, back you know, beginning of Beautiful Anonymous, there was still a few years there where it was I hadn't slowed down yet. I've slowed down some intentionally, some not. People have heard me talk about this, but there was one thing I was promoting, and I got booked to go on the Kelly Ripa Morning Show, Kelly and Ryan at the time. Uh-huh. And I was uh-huh. thrilled. My mom's favorite show growing up was Regis and Kathy Lee. I watched it with her every morning. Love that show. And then it became Regis and Kelly, Kelly and Ryan. So I was thrilled. And I get this message on Facebook from my old high school history teacher, who I haven't heard from since the day I graduated in 1998. <laughs> this is probably five years ago. This has been a long time. And she goes, I just saw them advertising you're going to be on Kelly Ripa. Wow. And I'm on Facebook looking at this. I'm going, you have to be kidding me. Because this teacher once did something to me that I look back. Now, to be fair, she didn't know how tenuous my mental state was. I was hiding it. I was a teenager and I was hiding it. But I go, yeah, that's true. And I was pretty terse with my answer. And she goes, it's pretty cool that you're a comedian. I wonder if you get any material from high school. And I'm sitting here going, why is she poking the bear on this? And I go, I don't really talk about high school all that much in my act. And then she goes, oh, that's good. I bet if you did, you'd probably be talking a lot about me. Wow. And I, I'm sitting here and I'm going, this feels like she wants. And I finally go, well, if I brought you up, because I got to tell you something, Caller. I had an older brother who's three grades ahead of me. So he was a senior when I was a freshman. And he's the best, but man, was he a holy terror. And some of those teachers, he put them through that he was a wise ass and he was a weirdo and I love him to death. And I learned a lot from him, but it wasn't always easy being his little brother when I'd show up years later and a teacher would see my last name. And I go, um, you know, if I was to be talking about you I might maybe make fun of or make try to make a joke about the time that in front of a hallway full of my peers, you got mad at me about something and yelled the words, this is what I should expect from a gethard. Mm. And the whole st- hallway stopped and scared, stared at me. And you basically uh, disparaged my family name as a teacher in front of a bunch of my peers. And she wrote back, I did that. And I go, yeah, you you did. I never forgot it. And she goes, well, it's decades too late, but I'm sorry. And I go, I, I don't spend much time thinking about it. But if I was to bring you up, that's what it would be. And then I, my mom has a very good friend who's still a teacher in my old town. I called my mom up. I go, Ma, Joanne, you might be hearing from Joanne. Because I just yelled at this teacher. And she goes, which one? And I said the name. She goes, good. She gave you a hard time. She was too rough on you. 
It was, it was right. And then I remember too, I had a friend reach out on Facebook shortly after that. I don't know why, but he was a kid I lost touch with. He said, I posted something about it without naming her. And he goes, are you teaching, are you posting about blah, blah, blah? And I go, yeah, how'd you know? And he goes, I remember once she was riding you so hard in history class that you started crying. Wow. And I raised my hand and said, Mrs. Blah, 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 can I speak to you in the hall? And this kid was a bad kid. And admittedly, he was wild. Damn. And she went out in the hall and he was like, I went out in the hall and I was like, what are you doing right now? We all see you doing this. Why are you going after Chris? He's not doing anything. And she stopped. And he was like, and I remember being so amazed that she listened to me because that's amazing. I was a bad kid. So I don't remember exactly how we got there, but I thought you might like that story. That was just a, it was a that's bad a great story. Bad well, that's time. the other pressure of teachers is that they, I don't think they want to know how powerful they are because their responsibility is so huge. Yeah. Um, I remember, you know, like driving my, my son and his friends around in high school and all, what do people, what do they talk about? They talk about school. They talk about teachers. They talk about kids. You know, they're so powerful. Yeah. Um, it's really kind of an, an awesome responsibility. Um, I actually jumped out of, so after I, my kids grew up and I didn't matter what I was doing, I, I jumped ship from this old organization and I ran an alternative high school for two years. Whoa, cool. Um, and I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. There were, it was a public school um, and kids who couldn't handle the pub, the high school were sent kids with anxiety and depression, but also really tough kids. Kids who had been kicked out of other towns for weapons or fighting or whatever would come to this school. There's only 40 kids. Um, and it was, it was an amazing experience. I love the kids because they all got individual attention. The teachers were all on a first name basis. Those teachers were mind blowing. In fact, I'm going to a retirement party in a couple of weeks for one. They had been there for like 30 years um, working with the same kind of tough kids. Uh, and you know, I, I could only do it two years. I absolutely loved it. But I'm like, life is short. And the the administration and the lack of support I got and the level of toughness. I mean, I was the principal, vice principal. I wrote the ed plans. I disciplined. I counseled. I mean, it was just way too much for me. It's so um, cool, though. Which was such a bummer because I loved it. Even if you only did it a few years, even if you only did that a few years, what an amazing thing to put your time and your energy towards. That's amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. Well, I remember going to a conference towards in the middle of the second year and the lawyer, it was a law and education conference. And the lawyer said, yeah, you could get sued by a parent if you're, if their kid graduated from your school and they went into college and they couldn't succeed, they could sue you for that. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not going to be sued by that. Like, no one's going to do that to me because my kids really, for the most part, none of them could go on to college. Um, some did, but, you know, for the most part, you know, they really just didn't have the family support, the money, the community support. They were lonely. So anyway, it was amazing, though. That's incredible. I love that you did it. Yeah, it was cool. Because there's been some themes and we've jumped around from topic to topic, but it keeps coming around to if we could get mental health into schools, kids would be doing better. If yeah. kids would start younger. And doctor's offices, right? And doctor, right. And if kids would be getting into doctor's offices at a younger age, yeah. destigmatizing, it would be better. You work with patients who are as young as six. 
So let me ask you a question that's terrifying for every young parent. Because, I mean, my son will not grow up in a house where mental health treatment is stigmatized. And in my house, I wouldn't say it was stigmatized. I would definitely say I was raised by Irish Catholics born in 1948 and 1953. Yeah. Which means we didn't talk about it. People didn't talk about that. That's right. It was systemic, though. They, it wasn't a personal choice by them. It was just society doesn't talk about it, and it was hard when we had yeah. to. So the real fear, and I think a lot of parents listening, you are someone who so clearly cares about young people, cares about mental health, and sees a major crossover in those things building up each other. So I asked you before, how, how do I know when to go in? But even more important, as a parent... My greatest fear. Well, can fear. I say that I'm you, really... you see where I'm going? Good. No, you see yeah, where yeah, I'm going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But go ahead. Finish your question. I was just going to say my greatest fear is that my son will someday know the pain I felt. It's the scariest thing in the world to me. And if he does, I plan on being right, right there on top of it. Well, I never heard you talk about your brother before, so sounds like sounds like your parents had a challenge. Between the two of us, between the two um, of us, wanted, they had a lot of things to sort I, out. That's right. As Irish Catholics, I mean, I was raised an Irish Catholic too. It's a real money maker for you. The Irish Catholics are real money makers for psychologists, I bet. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to say though that even and as a therapist, I also kind of say to folks, you know, what I'm the least important person in your life. Um, and when we see kids. Um, both my husband and I feel very committed to this. We don't see just a six-year-old by themselves because we see them an hour a week at most. And the, I always say to the parents, you're the real therapist. So you come in here at the session, you know, let's talk about this. Sometimes I have them leave or sometimes I have the kid leave, but really I see parents and teachers, like they're the ones who are in your life every day, all day, Right. So those are the people who really need to get the skills to to bring out the best in in everybody to notice everybody. Um, so you know, so I think you know, going to your question, which I didn't even allow you to finish, was you know, you want you want to keep talking to Cal, right? You want you guys are talking, you you're sharing information, you're destigmatizing, you're in touch. And then you won't be afraid. I mean, I was afraid myself when, you know, when I felt like my daughter needed to see somebody in, um, when she was in high school. And I was like, well, daughter of mine can't go. I was stigmatizing myself. Um, you know, but that was before I went into private practice. I have to say I've learned so much about kind of working with the public. I feel like a, a better therapist. And my joke with all parents are, you know, oh, I became a really good parent when the last one left the house because then I could stay calm, cool, <laughs> think through what I was going to do, and then, t- you know, deal with the situation. And I think that's true. But part of that is just the older you get, the more you learn, the, hopefully, right, the better you are. It's almost as if you're saying that if parents dedicate themselves to being mentally healthy in their own right, that they can be the front lines of making sure that their kids are mentally healthy. It's, it's almost as if it could be that simple. You know, uh, I'm going to forget his name. Um, really big guy in trauma. Oh, damn, I'm going to forget his name. Anyway, I just took a conference from his him a few, um, actually probably was two years ago now, and he really talked about the basis 
for mental health being the parent-child interaction. Um, and that if a child is growing up in a home that's safe and responsive and protective and getting help when needed, right? That that really, that that is the fostering of mental health. And I could not agree with that more. I mean, I think it really, I mean, we've, I've been talking about education and doctors, right? But to go back even further to um, just kind of supporting young families, that's really where it starts. Damn, I wish I could remember this guy's name. He's really important. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can look it up. Now, I think I, you've even, people have talked about him. Go ahead. I just want to say we only have three minutes left and this one has really moved. And I just want to also, I want to apologize to you because you called up and told me what you do and I get very excited about being able to talk to you. But I also know there's probably a million stories left on the table because I made it all about you and what you do and your opinions on mental health and where it's at. So I do want to apologize to you for that because I know you are more than just your profession and I know that you were boiled down to your profession a little bit in the course of this hour. And I just want to say my bad on that. That's okay. No, that's part of what, like, that's part of why I called is that, you know, just wanted people to know that therapists are not, they're not, they don't consider themselves perfect. They don't consider themselves mind readers. This is a joint collaborative effort. You know, um, I, Again, I always say to folks, you know, you're the one doing all the work. I'm just sitting here listening to you, supporting you, giving you ideas and all that. But you have the power to make things different. And I believe in you, right? So that's kind of why I wanted to call was just to kind of say that. Um, and we're, uh, you know, I, I, I think sometimes people look at me as like, my, I have my act together and everything's perfect. Everything's not perfect by any stretch. I wish I'd done things different as a parent. Um, and my daughter is now parenting two little girls and I'm learning a lot about parenting from her. Uh, so I, that's, that's really the hope is that we're always learning, but anyway, go ahead. You were going to say something else. So no apology accepted. No problem. <laughs> that was it. That was it. I wanted to make sure, cause that's happened a few times where somebody calls in, I get excited about what they do. And then I go, ah, but what you do is not who you are, but you've spoken so eloquently about it. And I kind of, I'll also say this too. I kind of feel like in 2023, we all need to touch base with this stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's probably good for a lot of people to hear. Um, and I, I thank you for airing it all out. And it sounds like both you and your husband have found a lot of joy and strength together while also having this mission that serves others in a way that I'm really blown away by. Yeah. I mean, we, we, uh, we love doing this work. Um, every day is absolutely meaningful. I, I can't quite imagine what it'd be to go to work and it, have it not be meaningful. Um, I, again, I feel very privileged to do that. I, I did get a lot of support in earning my PhD from family. Um, so I appreciate that. And I think, you know, I will say just quickly that I moved around a lot as a kid. We, we moved like every couple of years. My high school career is crazy. Freshman year is in Arizona, sophomore year, Connecticut, junior year, Georgia. And I think that, that I think moving around so much really kind of keyed me into loneliness and what it was like to kind of start afresh and make friends and feel connected with different places. So um, I think that's been my mission for all of my life. Doctor, I can't thank you enough for doing what you do and for sharing it with us. 
And I bet there's going to be a lot of people who listen to it and go, I feel like I just got to hear a, a doctor break it down almost in a way of like, when you're off the clock and it's more casual and you don't have to have your guard up and be clinical, here's what doctors are thinking about in modern days about mental health. I think, yeah. that's, I think that's hugely valuable and I can't thank you enough. Well, my pleasure. And I'm really glad. I mean, that's really why I called. And I remember the guy, I actually looked it up. It's Bessel van der Kolk. K-O-L-K. Have you heard of him? That's an amazing name. Bethel Vandal? I know. It is an amazing name. Yep. Vandal Quok? Yep. V-A-N-D-E-R-K-O-L-K. He, his, his conference about trauma is absolutely amazing. He is so smart. And um, it really comes down to connections and having people not be lonely. So anyway, is that it? We're done? The time time is, is, I have to say, that's a bomb to drop. I just need to say, if you're going to be a psychiatrist who's publishing this cutting edge research, make your name Bessel Vanderkolk. That is is a great name (laughs) for a psychiatrist right there. That's a great name right there. Yeah, well, look him up. He's really big. Yeah, and I'm sure he went through his own trauma. I mean, he's from Europe, right? And he's older than me. He's probably in his 70s. So anyway, Chris, thank you for all you do. You are amazing. And just know that a lot of people, not just me, yell at you every time you say really self-deprecating things. <laughs> well, I have to imagine as a psychologist, you probably listen to my self-deprecation and you go, this is a problem. You these are you keep ripping the scabs <laughs> off and not letting healing happen. Yeah. And I'm sure you hear it. And I know it's well, true. I know it's true. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, anyway, you do a great job. Thank you so much for being in this world. Thank you for being in this world. And thank you for helping so many people. All right. Caller, thank you so much. Sincerely, thanks for doing everything you do. Thanks for helping the six-year-olds. Thanks for helping the 86-year-olds. Thanks for helping everybody in between. Thanks to Anita Flores for producing the show. Thanks to Jared O'Connell for engineering. Our theme song is by Shell Shag. Go to chrisgeth.com if you want to know more about me. Wherever you're listening, you can hit this button. It says subscribe, favorite, follow. It helps us so much when you hit that button. You can find our latest merch at Podswag. If you want your episodes ad-free, Go to stitcher.com slash premium. Use the code stories for a one-month free trial. And if you like the show, the best thing you can do, tell friends about it. Word of mouth is the best type of advertising. Thanks, everybody. 